The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Cool. Well, it is uh, good to be uh, back with you all today. For those of you who don't know, I was, I was out of town last week. Uh, I was with some of our, our high school students. We were in New Orleans at a, uh, a youth gathering that uh, our church body at large that we're a part of puts on every three years. Uh, so it was me and uh, 25,000 high school students uh, in New Orleans, sweating profusely. It was a humid city. I don't know if you've ever been there. But uh, at any rate, glad to be back in the, the balmy, cool shores of Leander. Um, but, uh, but in all honesty, uh, it, was, it was a great trip. Our kids were awesome, and it was a great experience for them. So those of you that did support that trip, uh, I do want to say thank you so much for doing that. It was, it was, a, it was an awesome time. Uh, but I'm glad to be back with you all, starting this new series, Facing Leviathan. And you can see, uh, for the series, we're going to go through the book of Jonah. Uh, but before we get into Jonah, some of you may be saying, Facing Leviathan, why would you name the series that? Like, what do you mean? What, what are you getting at there? So let me just take a minute and, and sort of unpack that for you. Uh, first of all, I'll just be honest, I stole the title from a book that I got for Father's Day. Uh, and so I was like, oh, that's cool. And actually, most of our design is basically based off the cover of that book, because uh, it just looks awesome. And uh, at any rate, and so I read it, and the series is loosely based on the book, but really more centered on Jonah. But the real reason uh, we're we're titling this series Facing Leviathan is this. Uh, See, in the ancient world, in like every culture, in their their various mythologies, their their various ways of understanding the world, uh, almost every culture in the ancient world had this idea of there being some sort of uh, god or goddess that, that just produced chaos in this world that produced destruction in this world. And it was always closely associated with the sea, with the water, that there's some sort of chaos monster lurking in the deep, uh, wreaking havoc on the world. So for example, uh, in Babylonian mythology, uh, there's this goddess who's like this sea monster of chaos, uh, Tiamat, uh, who is just, you know, unleashing chaos all over the universe. And uh, the chief uh, god in Babylonian mythology, his name's Marduk, uh, came in and, and they, they went at it, had a little battle, and uh, Marduk ends up winning the battle, actually cuts her stomach open and creates the world we live in out of her bowels. So that's, that's how we got here, guys. Uh, and uh, and so, so at any rate, so that was their story, that he, he subdued the, the sea monster, the, the great chaos monster of the deep. And that's just one example, but nearly every ancient culture has this idea of this chaos monster of the sea. And in the Old Testament, the Israelites had this too. And in the book of Psalms, and in the book of Job, and in the book of Isaiah, they call this creature Leviathan. That's this idea of of chaos that's unleashed on the world. And here's my point. In all these ancient stories of chaos from the deep, chaos is subdued. It's held back. But it's never fully defeated. It's always looking to rear its head. It's always looking to rise up again. And listen, I'm not trying to sound alarmist, okay? But we live in some pretty chaotic times. I don't know if you noticed that, right? It's pretty chaotic right now. Like you could think internationally where we're facing one of the largest refugee crises ever, right? Or we look over at the military coup in Turkey. Or we just look nationally. And doesn't it feel like every week, man, we're just waiting for the next tragedy to happen. And that, of course, is happening in the midst of an unprecedented election cycle. And that's just the chaos outside, let alone the chaos in many of your lives, where you're maybe facing death or illness or relational stress or addiction or job loss or whatever it is that's going on in your life. 
And so there's this idea that Leviathan is rearing its head. The chaos monster is coming up. And so how do we face it? How do we face Leviathan? Well, if the ancient world, ancient literature, introduces us to the idea of Leviathan, and my, my prep for today, I've discovered that 19th century literature really uh, shows us a couple ways of facing it. All right, so I just want to walk through those real quick. So, so one of the ways we see of facing Leviathan, the, the chaos that, that happens in our world, uh, we see that, that came out of the cultural storm of the French Revolution. Uh, Jules Verne wrote his classic work, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Y'all familiar with it? Okay. And uh, for those who may be not familiar with the story, I'm sure you've heard of it, but the, the story kind of goes like this, where, where people are reporting that they see this sea monster out in the ocean. There's this, this great sea monster roaming around. People are freaking out. What are we going to do? Well, they inspect what it is, and upon closer inspection, they come to find out that it's a submarine, and that it's like a really intricately made submarine, and it's led by Captain Nemo. And we learn in the story that the whole reason Captain Nemo's running this submarine, running this vessel, is because he wants to be kept free from the chaos of the outside world. He doesn't want any obligation put on him. He just want to be, wants to be in his safe cocoon doing the things that he wants to do that make him feel comfortable and safe and not have to deal with anyone else around him. That's one option for us, church, one option for you in facing Leviathan, is to hole up, Right? to bunker down, ride out the storm, say, hey, the, the world's pretty scary out there right now, so I'm just going to do the things that make me comfortable. I'm just going to hang out with the people that look like me, that sound like me, that believe the same things I believe, that share the same political ideologies of, as me. I'm just going to hang out here wherever I'm safe and comfortable. I don't want to be attached to anything else. I just want to be free to be who I am in my nice, safe little bubble. We can do that. It's an option. The other option we see in 19th century literature is a poem that was actually written in response to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and it's by a poet named Arthur Rimbaud, and it's titled The Drunken Boat. Uh, and in The Drunken Boat, Rimbaud advocates, instead of holding up away from the chaos around us, he says, hey man, just ride the waves. Just dive in deep to the chaos. Just embrace it all uncritically. Get yourself tossed around by all that. No discernment, no critique, just hop in. Which is, of course, another option for us, right? Just sort of embrace the chaos. Hey, things are changing, so let's just get on board with whatever's changing. Let's just hop on board with whichever, whatever's fashionable at that time, whatever produces the least resistance in life. I'm just going to float with the, the waves and allow myself to be consumed by culture. So friends, let me say this. In the face of Leviathan... There's a very real temptation for us to isolate ourselves, to hole up, and to, to function in a sort of tribalism. And there's a very real temptation for us to say, ah, who cares? I'm just going to ride the waves. I'm just going to embrace it all, not think critically about our world. But the book of Jonah offers us a third way forward. The book of Jonah offers us a third way of facing Leviathan, and that's what we're going to see in this series. And the first thing we'll see in this series, in this book, is that, that if we're going to face a cultural storm well, we need to first let God do his work in us personally. If we're going to face a cultural storm well, we need to first let God do his work in us personally. And what we'll see in the first chapter of Jonah is that despite our best efforts to run from him, God pursues us and ultimately does his work in us. And so that's kind of going to be our working outline today, all right? We run... God pursues, God saves. 
All right, so for you type A folks, that's what we're looking at. We run, God pursues, God saves. So let's get going. Look with me. We run. Uh, Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I love this book because it doesn't waste time like giving you a bunch of background information, right? Like it just hops right into it, right? So Jonah's doing his own thing. God's word shows up and says, hey, get up, boy. I've got work for you to do. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that my wrath is against them. But Jonah doesn't want to do this, and so he flees. He runs away from God's call in his life. Now, if you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with this story. And we generally like to give Jonah, like, a pretty hard time. Like, oh, I can't believe he ignored God's call. But can we just, like, let's just cut the guy some slack for a second, all right? Like, let's just, just recognize what God was calling him to do, all right? So he's calling him uh, to go to Nineveh, which was a leading city in the Neo-Assyrian Empire. This is around 700 B.C. or so. And the Assyrians were not good people, okay? They were, like, incredibly violent, incredibly destructive. I mean, we have records that as they conquered other nations... They'd kill the men, they'd rape the women, it gets worse, you can earmuff it if you want, uh, and they'd, they'd take pregnant women, cut them open, take the baby out, and kill the baby in front of them to demoralize the country. All right? These guys are not good people. The, the slogan, we, we, we literally, we have inscriptions of Assyrian kings. This was their slogan. I destroyed, I devastated, I burned with fire. Not good people. God says, go to them. And not only that, this empire has its sight set on the nation of Israel, Jonah's people. God says, go to them. And so it's, it's basically as if God were to say to you, hey, I want you to go find the biggest ISIS cell you can. Just stand up in the middle of those guys and tell them that God's wrath is against them. Anyone up for that? Volunteer? No, right? Jack, get it, homie. That's good, buddy. All right. Uh, right? It, I, a little crazy, right? But Jonah's even crazier because he decides he's going to run from God, which, of course, can't do. Uh, and so he does it by, by getting on a ship and sailing in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish. Now, uh, Tarshish, uh, most scholars think, was, was kind of an area in the south of Spain. We don't really know much about it. But, but what we do know is that it would have been known to Jonah as a city of, of wealth and trade. It would have been sort of a, a cosmopolitan culture uh, that provided consumer goodies for the nation of Israel. And so what Jonah's doing is, instead of fulfilling God's call on his life, Jonah goes to pursue the wealth and comfort of Tarshish. Hear that again. Instead of fulfilling God's call on his life, Jonah goes to pursue the wealth and comfort of Tarshish. And is this not what we do? Is this not what we do? Right? Because it's not like we don't know what God's Word says. It's just we don't want to do it. It's not like we don't know what He's saying to us. It's just that it's hard. For example, so I mentioned last week, I'm in New Orleans with our youth. 
Those of you that had seen me the week before, if you met with me for any reason, uh, knew that I did not want to go to New Orleans. Didn't want to go on this trip. Had nothing to do with our youth. Love them. Had nothing to do with the 25,000 others. I don't care. That's fine. It had to do with me. See, for me, the last time our, our church body had put on a gathering of this sort, uh, I actually had like a really big role in it. Uh, like I, I was part of the planners. I worked on it for three years. Uh, the last gathering was in San Antonio, and we'd have these big events uh, in the Alamo Dome. Wednesday night, 2013, I ran the Alamo Dome. It was Gabe's Palace, right? I was like, big deal for me, right? This year, I was going as a lowly participant. I didn't want to do that. I was just going to be a regular dude there. Nothing special. I didn't get a cool walkie-talkie, no cool press pass, just a guy. On top of that, uh, many of, of my closest friends and peers were key speakers at this event. Not Gabe, just a lowly participant, regular guy, bump on the log. Now, it's clear that God's call in my life at that time and at this time is to swallow my pride, take some humility pills, and actually invest in our students, do the work of a pastor. But I wanted to run. I didn't want to do that. The reality is you do this too. You do this too. There's places in your life where God has called you and you said, yeah, I know, but I'm going to go this way instead. Oh yeah, I, I know what God's word says about greed and envy, but, but God, do you see what everyone else has? Or hey, oh, oh, I know what God's word says about sexuality, but, but listen, times have changed. He's going to understand that. Or, or I know I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, but do you know what they did to me? Or sure, I'm supposed to raise my kids in the faith and teach them what it is to follow Jesus, but man, if we spend too much time pursuing spiritual things, they might miss out on a scholarship. Or yeah, I'm supposed to share the gospel, but it's scary, and I'm going to look weird. Or I'm supposed to be gentle and show hospitality to people, but I'm really tired. See, we, we know what God's word is, but we choose to run. The list could go on and on. We know God's call, and we run. But here's the beautiful truth we see in the book of Jonah. Is that no matter how far you run from God, you can't outrun God. And that for some of you here this morning, no matter how far you may think you've run from God, you can't outrun God. Because he pursues. And he pursues you. He pursues you. Look with me at verses 4 to 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. All right, so Jonah tries to run from God, but God, in his mercy pursues him. God, in his mercy, sends a storm to wake Jonah up and get him in line with his will. Now, I want to notice a few things about this text, all right? So this storm is so huge, so massive, that experienced sailors are freaking out, right? It says they're calling out to every god they possibly can to save them. Meanwhile, what's Jonah doing? He's asleep, in the bottom of the ship. And there's a reason the author of this text points that out to us, and it shows us a, a couple things about God's pursuit of us, all right? 
So the first reason the author tells us this is that uh, the inner part of the ship would have been below sea level. And in sort of the, the Hebrew worldview, uh, anything below sea level is kind of, in, in Hebrew literature, represented death. And so what the author wants us to see is that Jonah is in the realm of the dead, metaphorically speaking. And what this tells us about God's pursuit of us is this. There's some of you here this morning where you're dead before God. You're spiritually dead. That he's maybe called out to you for a while. He's maybe said your name. But you keep ignoring him. You keep running. Understand that in his pursuit of you, God pursues you. Even if you're dead, he pursues you. But oftentimes in that pursuit, he sends storms. He sends storms. And that's meant to wake you up, to call you to come to life. Once you respond to that. I mean, there, there's a reason why if you were to ask most people uh, who have come to faith, uh, if you were to ask them, hey, how did you come to faith? Or, or when did your faith become real to you? Most people will say, oh, I was in the midst of some sort of storm in my life. It was in the midst of some sort of hardship, some sort of darkness. In that moment, God became more real to me. It just ha- I don't know what it is. He pursues people in the storm all the time. Respond to him. Second thing we notice about God's pursuit in this text, though, is that uh, Jonah's asleep. Jonah's asleep, okay? Massive storm rolling on outside. Jonah, a grown man on a ship, should be out trying to help the crew, right? Doing anything he can to keep them from capsizing. But instead, he goes downstairs and takes a nap. He's incredibly immature. He's incredibly immature. And see, there's some of you here where you're not dead spiritually, but you're very comfortably being spiritual, spiritually immature. That you may, may have been raised in the church, you may have been a Christian for a long time, but you're not growing in your faith. You're, you're not pursuing the things of God. You're not pursuing God. You're not, you're not following Jesus. You're not living for his kingdom. You're not spending time in his word. You're not spending time in prayer. You're not fighting against sin in your life. You're just comfortably, spiritually immature. You're not in community with other Christians. You maybe just show up here once in a while. That's it. You're asleep. And listen, this, listen to what happens in this story. See, Jonah's immaturity comes at the cost of those trapped in the storm. Hear that. If you've been complacent with spiritual immaturity, your immaturity is not just about you. It comes at the cost of those trapped in the storm. You get that? See, the only person on Jonah's ship that can do anything about this storm is Jonah, and he's taking a nap. Friends, God is not content to let you stay in spiritual immaturity. He's not content to do that. There is a world of hurt that needs mature Christians to step up, to live out their faith in bold and thoughtful and gracious and radical ways. And so let me just tell you, if you're just kind of hanging out as a Christian, sort of floating along, snoozing away, I just tell you, man, wake up. Grow up. The world needs you. God's pursuing you. Respond. Because what we see happen is that God has to use a pagan crew falling apart to finally wake Jonah up. 
And Jonah explains to them what's going on, and they say, well, hey, man, what should we do? And he says, you've got to throw me overboard. And they don't want to do that. They try to fight against it, but eventually they say, all right, fine, we'll throw you in. And when that happens, we see that we run, God pursues, but ultimately God saves. Look with me at verses 15 to 16. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so Jonah says, hey, throw me into the sea. He gets thrown in, and all of a sudden, the water's calm. The storm stops. And in light of this, these formerly pagan guys, they bow down, and they worship the true God. Now, don't miss that point. See, when a, a man or woman of God finally stops running from him and submits to his will, an unbelieving world notices. An unbelieving world notices. Now, when I think about the story, I think, like, what could possibly prompt Jonah to do something so crazy, right? Like, giant storm, like, why is he like, hey, throw me out. Why does he do that? For the sake of these sailors, why does he do that? He does it because he has a trust in the God who is in control of all things. He tells us this in verse 9. They ask him, who are you, where are you coming from? And he says this, verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, he says to them, hey, in, in the midst of this storm, he says, y'all are just grabbing on to anything you can, any God you think that might save you. But he says, I know the true God. I know the only God that's any hope for us that could actually save us. And I'm telling you, you've got to throw me into the sea. And sure enough, as he's thrown into the sea, not only does God save the sailors, but he saves Jonah too. Look with me at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so instead of drowning in the chaos of the sea, God sends a fish to swallow Jonah and preserve his life. God saves Jonah. Now let me do a, a quick aside here. Uh, I'm sure there's some of you here this morning that are like, dude, the notion of a giant fish swallowing a guy is just a bit far-fetched for me. That's you, I get that. I get it. Let me just say this real quick. It's not unprecedented. There's actually modern historical records of guys being swallowed whole by whale sharks and coming out alive. So it's happened, okay? But if you're still like, that's too crazy, that's fine. I'm not gonna get into it today. Shoot me an email, we can talk, it'll be great, okay? Let's just do that. Uh, I, just, I, just, I, I don't want you to miss out though on the message of Jonah just because of a fish, okay? The message of Jonah that we run, that God pursues, and that God saves. The message that says, despite the fact that Jonah ran from God's call in his life, God saved him. Despite the fact that Jonah was falling asleep in death and in immaturity, God still saved him. That he woke him up to life and delivered him from the storm and delivered Jonah from himself. So hear this. God saved Jonah through the belly of a fish in the midst of a storm. And God saved you through the belly of the earth in the midst of a storm. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's this part where uh, Jesus is walking around and he's, you know, 
doing what he does, and he's healing people, and he's teaching people about the kingdom of God, and he's proclaiming the gospel, and, and, and it's great. Um, but, but some folks come up to him, and they say, hey, Jesus, if, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really from God, you, you should do a sign for us. Do some big sign for us so we can know, know that it's you, that you're really the one that's here to save us. And Jesus says to them, he says, essentially, he says, I'm not your puppet. I'm not just going to dance for you. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And he quotes them. He says, just like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, he says, I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And of course, in that moment, Jesus is referencing his death and his burial and then his resurrection. And see, just like Jonah saved the crew by being thrown into the storm, you're saved because Jesus threw himself into the ultimate storm for you. The storm of God's wrath against sin, God's judgment against your spiritual apathy and your failure to follow his call in your life, that all fell on Jesus on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath and he was thrown into it for you. And that just as Jonah was saved through the belly of the fish, Jesus saved you as he was buried in the heart of the earth. He saves you now. And that because of what he's done for you, there's, there's no storm in this world that God is not in the midst of with you. And because of what he's done for you, there's, there's no place that you can run to that would be too far for him to reach. That he continues to pursue you and reach out to you and call you to be his own. And so the chaos can reign around us. The chaos can reign in our lives. Leviathan can rear its head all, its, all at once. But through Jesus' work on the cross, you are grounded on a rock that is unshakable. So uh, while we were in New Orleans, I uh, got to hang out with a friend of mine named Kevin. I've known him for, for a couple of years. And uh, he's one of these incredible people. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in 2005, he was one of the first people there. Like, he saw it, and he was just like, well, guess I'm getting my car, and just drove down into the storm. And, uh, and he was telling me stories as we're walking around the streets. He's telling me about how he would tool around on a boat of the streets of New Orleans to rescue people. Um, and so, so he did that, and then as the water eventually went down, he stayed on in New Orleans for a couple of years to help rebuild the city and rehab the city. Uh, and, and he was so, um, I don't know, moved by God at, with what he saw in terms of working with folks in need, that when he went back to his home city, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, he said, I want to go to the neediest part of the city. And so he went to the poorest, most dangerous part in, in, uh, in St. Louis. And he's a white guy that moved into a black neighborhood in the most segregated city in the country. I've been there. It's just what it is. And he moved in there uh, to care about at-risk youth and to care about the homeless that were there. And so he does that, incredible dude. And what ends up happening is through, through some connections, we had a spot open in our registration for, for our youth at, at this gathering. And so he invited one of the girls that he's been working with uh, from that neighborhood to, to be a part of the gathering with our crew. And it was cool, her name's Janelle, she's a very sweet girl. Uh, but the first day we're all hanging out and like, you know, we're just suburban kids in New Orleans, right? So we all just get together and we went out to the restaurant and then we checked in at our hotel and then we went and got some Starbucks and like, no one's thinking anything of it, right? Well, that night, she texts Kevin, this girl, Janelle, and she's like, hey, I'm not, like, super comfortable with these people. Like, they're going to all these restaurants. This hotel seems too nice. 
all this fancy coffee, like, I don't know what this is about. I feel very, like, out of place here. I, I don't know what to do. And Kevin just responded to her one sentence. He goes, well, how do you think I feel in the hood? Uh, which, was, 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 uh, which was good. Um, and, uh, and she laughed about it. Uh, and and, uh, and they, they talked together that night. And, and he shared with her, he said, hey, listen, in, in Christ, God has joined us together. That, that there's all sorts of rifts in our culture going on right now. But in Jesus, God has joined us together. And then he went into that, how in him, man, we as his people are, are secure to enter into awkward and difficult cultural spaces for the sake of the gospel. That the cross roots us so much in Jesus that we can face whatever Leviathan is thrown before us. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but you see that in Christ, you, you can face Leviathan, you can face the chaos of the sea in our world and in your life. You can do it without retreating into tribalism. You can do it without just conforming to the waves because your salvation is secure in what Jesus has done for you. So may you find your salvation in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just uh, give you thanks that you pursue us, that we may run from you, that we may hear your word and ignore it, but you pursue us. You don't do it to condemn us, but to save us and to use us. And so, Lord, may we be strengthened by what you've done for us through Jesus. May we find our, our hope and our Savior who went through the storm for us, who went into the heart of the earth for us. May he be our hope this day and always. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.